Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Well, you may be seated. How's everybody doing? Good. It's good to see you all. You all look great. There's a story that a pastor from the West Coast, uh, I heard him tell the story several years ago, and um, he was pastoring a church that was experiencing a lot of growth, like explosive growth, explosive growth of people who were not interested in God at all up until the point that they met this pastor in this church. And then they surrendered their lives completely to Jesus, and he started doing amazing things in, in their lives. And there was just some amazing stories of ways that God was moving in this church. So that gets the attention of some you know, church growth, church planter um, consultants. And so they, they found out about this church, and they go and they visit it. They went to a service. They went to like a, a Saturday night service first. And they're at this service, and there were like candles on the stage, and the lights were dim, and the music was really good, and it was an emotional message, and people just came forward and gave their life to Christ. It was really sweet. And so the church growth consultant, goes up, this is a true story, that goes up to this pastor afterwards, and he says, I think I understand what's happening. I think I understand why this is working. Is that me bleeping out a little bit? Do you guys hear that? Or is that... Okay, all right, just ignore it. Um, I think this is the second week in row I've said, just ignore it. Um, so he says to the pastor, I think I know what it is. It's the dim lights, it's the candle, it's the atmosphere, it's the emotional moment, it's the acoustic guitar riffing while people are coming forward. That's what it is, that's what's drawing people to Jesus. And the pastor just said, well, I think it's a little bit more than that. Why don't you meet me tomorrow morning, and I'll show you some of the the real work that we do. So they go to this coffee shop, and there's a lot of people in this coffee shop, and the pastor's pointing out to the church consultant. He's saying, these are all people from our church who are meeting with these people throughout the week who are interested in learning about Jesus. And this is actually where the real work happens. And he said, for example, that young man over there who is... An atheist, he's brilliant, he's very intelligent, and we've had people talk, I've talked with him myself, you can't argue with him because he's just so intelligent and he just is refusing to hear about Jesus. And the church consultant's like, let me give it a shot. And the pastor's like, well, he's brilliant, he's really smart, he's really well read. And the guy's like, I'm a church consultant, this is what I do. So the pastor's like, by all means, go for it. So he sits down with this guy who's an atheist, and he, the church consultant says, let's just get right into it. What do you think of Jesus? And this atheist says, um, I think he's a good guy. And the church consultant says, well, that's interesting, because he can't be good unless he's Lord, too, because he's either a Lord, a lunatic, and the guy finishes it and says, or a liar. 
He said, yeah, I, I've read C.S. Lewis. I know that argument. And the church consultant was like, uh-oh. <laughs> and the pastor is just enjoying the view. And, and so everything that he says, this guy responds and finishes the argument and probably gives it better than the consultant. He gets up, he's dejected, he leaves, and the pastor says, don't worry about it, we've given it our best too. It's just not, not there, he's not ready. Next Sunday, that atheist shows up at this pastor's church, and he's, he sees him, and he's trying to keep an eye on him because he wants to kind of protect people from going up and talking to him because he knows that it would be dangerous, especially for a young believer, to talk to this person because he's just going to try to thrash anything they say, any argument for Jesus. Service is over, and he sees a young girl who just became a Jesus follower start walking towards this guy. And she's energetic, she's excited, she talks about Jesus all the time, and he's nervous. This pastor tries to go intersect, but he gets caught up with somebody else talking, and he can't get to this girl to stop her from talking to this atheist. So they talk, the pastor forgets about it, he meets up with her again after church, and he says, I'm sorry, I meant to catch you before you were talking with him, and I wanted to warn you about him, and she's like, warn me about what, what do you mean? And the pastor said, well, he's really intelligent, you know, he's, he's an atheist, so he, he likes just arguing and, and kind of dismantling all the arguments for Jesus, and I'm sorry you had to endure that. And she said, oh, no, it's totally good. And he's like, well, what happened? And she said, well, I started talking to him about Jesus, and he started saying these things that I don't understand, and using words like, I don't know what that means. And she said, you know what, let me just stop you, because you're smarter than me. But I sense that you're lonely. I used to be lonely. I mean, I'd go to bed every night, she tells this guy, wondering if there's anybody in the entire world that loved me. And I met Jesus, and in this crazy, weird way, and it's going to sound weird to you, but I, I'm not alone anymore. And I go to bed every night knowing that it, it, there's at least one person in the universe who loves me, and he's the one that matters. And he just kind of put his head down, had nothing to say to that. And um, she said, I hope you can meet him too. And I hope you come back. And this atheist that was able to shut down theologians and professional church consultants and pastors was absolutely silenced by this girl. Christmas is the celebration that Jesus is with us. And so the month or so that leads up to Christmas is called Advent. And if you look up Advent on Google, like I did, here's the definition it gives. It says, Advent is the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. The arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. So Advent celebrates the fact that Jesus arrived on earth 2,000 years ago. And Advent is meant to have us look backwards to that first time that Jesus came, but it's also meant to have us look forward in anticipation to the next time that Jesus comes, which could happen at any moment. 
But the question for us is, what about now? What about right now? If Jesus was here in person 2,000 years ago, if he's coming back in person in his resurrected body at any moment now, where is he now? Is he actually with us? What does the Bible even say about that? So, the idea is that if Jesus isn't with us, like the way that the girl talked about Jesus, um, him being present to her in a way that she's no longer lonely, if Jesus isn't with us, then, then Christmas turns out to be a pretty hollow holiday. It doesn't really take on a lot of meaning. Jesus was here on earth in person the first advent. He'll be here again on earth, again in person, the second advent. What I want to do today is answer three questions. How do we know Jesus is with us? How is Jesus with us? And if Jesus truly is with us, how can we make sure we are with him? And this is going to be a little different today because I'm going to really let Scripture do the heavy lifting. So there's, um, I'm going to blast you with a lot of Scripture it's, it's more of a technical teaching today because I want to make sure that you can look at the source. You can look at Scripture and find the answers to this. You're not just listening to me talk about it. I want you to see it in Scripture. So um, if you have a bulletin, follow along in your notes. If you don't have a bulletin, you probably could grab one um, out in the lobby. But this is a pretty Scripture-heavy one. So, follow along if you can. That first question, how do we know Jesus is with us? We know because he tells us he's with us in Scripture. This is Matthew 28, 20. Jesus just gives the disciples their commission. He tells them what, he, what their responsibility is, is that to, to go and tell the story of Jesus and what he's done for humanity. And then, in doing that, help people know how to entrust their lives to him and follow him, and partner with God as he makes them into new people. And then he says, because that sounds like a pretty tall task, that sounds like a lot of responsibility, and he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, in a little while after he says this, He's going to do something a little strange. He's going to be talking with the disciples on a mountain, and he's going to start floating up into the sky, which is unusual. And then he's going to be covered over by a cloud, and that's just not a random fact in the Bible. A cloud represents God's glory in Scripture. So he's covered over by God's glory, he doesn't, and he's gone. And the disciples are just looking up at the sky. Well, Jesus just said that he was going to be with them always, and then he disappears. How is he with them? Now, when, God, when Jesus is talking to the disciples, he's talking to them, but he's also talking through them to us. So if you are a follower of Jesus, if you aren't, keep hanging around with us and see if you see a little bit of Jesus in us. But if you are, he's talking to you too. To the disciples, but also, also through them. Another passage in your notes is Hebrews 13, 5, where God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, he's, he's quoting here the 
um, I, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, actually, but whoever wrote Hebrews is quoting the Old Testament where God is talking to a man that he just gave another very scary assignment to. The story, if you don't know the story, there's a man named Moses who God chose to do some miraculous signs through him to free these people that God called to be his chosen people on earth for that time of history. And they were enslaved, and he was going to lead them out of that enslavement to the Egyptians into a new land that he had promised them. That was already lived in, by the way, and there were some scary people living in them and some powerful people living in them, but God was going to give them that land. So he uses Moses to do this. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the last chapter, Moses walks through the plains of Moab and goes up on a mountain and looks at all the land that God's going to give his people, and then he dies. And he'd been leading all these people. The next book, the first book of Joshua, the first chapter of Joshua, God says to Joshua, um, Moses is dead. And now you get to lead. And you're going to lead the people across the Jordan into this promised land. That was scary for all sorts of reasons. Because there was um, external enemies there were some scary people that lived in the land that God was going to give them. And there were internal enemies. There were scary people inside of this community that were going after him as well. And God says this to encourage him. Joshua 1.5 He says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Does that sound familiar? It's what the writer of Hebrews echoes in the New Testament. And then again in Joshua 1.9, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He couldn't see. God is spirit. He couldn't see God. It wasn't like God was like walking beside him. And yet he said, I am with you wherever you go. Don't worry about it. You're going to face some hard stuff. Don't worry about it. I am with you. And that echoes into the New Testament. It echoes into our lives today. The same thing is true for us. So how is Jesus with us? John 14, 15 through 17 in your notes. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Again, it's very clear that God is saying to people who are follow, Jesus followers, Jesus is saying, my Father will send a helper, the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you forever. And this is just something that you can't give enough illustrations to make this sink into your hearts. This is something that you just need to sit with these passages for extended periods of time and ask God to open your eyes to actually believe this is true because when we start living as though this is true, it changes us. And the way you grow as a Christian is you see what the Bible says is true, and then you read it enough times that you actually begin to believe it. 
and live as though it's true. There's another passage, 2 Corinthians 13.5. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? So we see here, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit must be the same thing. This is part of like the mystery of this Trinity that God is three persons in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is in you. And then Colossians 1.27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is this mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, sometimes when you're talking to young followers, young Jesus followers, um, and you're trying to explain to them why you should pray, a question that often is asked is, how can I talk to someone that I can't see? Like, kids ask brilliant questions. We, we, we don't think this way, but kids are beautifully concrete. And we're okay with abstraction. We don't really know what it means that we pray to God a lot of the times. But kids will push me on that and be like, I, I don't see him. I'm like, yeah, but you're talking, yeah. Ugh. And how do you tell a kid that Jesus lives in them? Jesus Christ lives in them. How do you do that? Because if you ask them to describe, okay, what do you think it means? The, the answer is something like, there's a man living inside of my heart. There's a miniature man crawling around the valves of my heart. Like, that's what it means that Jesus lives in your heart. And so we're like, yeah, Jesus lives in your heart. And, they, and they're thinking there's an actual person in there. I think we need to be really clear on this. I think we need to be really clear on this. Because the clearer we can get on this, the more we're going to be able to give thoughtful answers to people who ask questions. Like, what does it mean that God lives in you? So I'm going to get just a tiny, tiny little bit technical. So just stay with me. Stay with me on this. What does it mean that God lives in us? A human being is a body and a spirit. So if you think back to when God created Adam, what did he do? God got his hands in the dirt, metaphorically. And he crafted the image of a body, a man. Was that body alive yet? It was lifeless. It was just the shell of the person. What did God do to make it alive? He breathed into it. So humanity is a place where heaven and earth kiss. They come together because they have divine life breathed into them by God and they have a body that's made of stuff and matter of this earth. So we have body made out of dirt, and then we have divinity, God breathing into the life of a person. So that's body and spirit. That's why I'm saying we're two parts, body and spirit. And here's what happens. When you become a Christian, if you become a Christian, you get a partial, partial resurrection. One day Jesus is going to come back and your body is going to be resurrected. But when you become a Christian, you get a partial. It's like a down payment for that whole transformation and resurrection one day. Which means that your spirit becomes new. The part that God breathed into you, the most important part, is resurrected. And what happens is the Holy Spirit comes and lives within your spirit and dwells with your spirit that is new now. Forever. 
And in your spirit, the spirit of God will never no longer be. He will always be with you from this point forward. The spirit of God dwelling with your spirit. So that when you, if you were to die right now, your shell would stop working. Your, your heart would stop beating. Your organs would stop working. You would stop breathing. But you would still be alive. And if you're in Christ, your spirit would be ushered immediately into the presence of Jesus. Because that part of you that was already resurrected, the spirit, will never not be without God. So when you're looking at a body in the coffin, if you go to a funeral, it's almost like looking at an old broken down version of what Adam's body was like before God breathed into him because the breath of God has left the body. The person, the essence of that person is no longer there. It's just a, it's just a shell. That's where the Spirit lives. That's how God lives with us. And I know that's a little technical and hard to understand, but that's, that's the answer. That's how he lives with us. 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? So a temple, as the Hebrew people would understand it, is like this, it's a mini garden of Eden. That's what a temple is. The garden of Eden is where God walked on creation somehow. I have no idea. God is spirit. I don't know how he walked in, through the Garden of Eden, but we know that he took a walk in the Garden of Eden. So a temple is where earth and heaven overlap. It's where those two things meet. So when the Israelites built temples, it was the place where God's glory would somehow come into that space in a very real way. And it was earth, but also God was there, so earth and heaven are overlapping. And then they built these Portable temples called tabernacles. When they were in the desert, they would build a portable temple and God's presence would overlap theirs. A mini Eden. That's what a temple, that's what a tabernacle was. So who's the temple now? There's no longer any sacred spaces where you go there and you're like, man, God's presence is thicker, thicker here. The sacred space is you. You are the temple. We are the place now where heaven and earth overlap inside of us, where the Spirit of God dwells. So, here's the last question. If Jesus truly is with us, how can we make sure we are with Him? And the first thing is just to accept the invitation that Jesus has made a way for you to be a part of His family, to, along with Him, call God the Father, Father, as a brother and as a friend of Jesus. To accept the invitation to turn away from life apart from him. To turn away from trying to do things in your own strength. Even trying to be a good Christian, which is the worst kind of life apart from God. When you pretend, when you fake it, even when you have yourself fooled. Life without God He's always inviting you into this eternal dance with him, this life with him forever. So if you sense him drawing, if you sense this, Dallas calls it, Dallas Willard calls it, the, gent the allure of gentleness, the spirit wooing you to himself, then just receive it and say, 
I surrender my life. I believe that Jesus made a way for me by dying for me, a sinner on the cross, and being resurrected back to life. And because of that, my sins can be forgiven because they were put on him, and I can be righteous because his righteousness is put on me. Just say yes. That's how you do it. So after that, he is with you. That's a given. So God will be with you. Or if you are in his family, his spirit is with you. That's a given. The tricky part is making sure that you're with him. I mean, the problem is never him being with you. He's promised that. It's, that's a fact. But now we have to make sure we know how to be with him intentionally. Here's, a, here's another verse. Um, oh, actually, this isn't a verse. The verse is Philippians 2.13. For it is God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. But here's my understanding. Open ourselves, opening ourselves up more and more to the God who is with us is a lifelong process And it's all about following the desire he gives you to get to know him. So if you want to open yourself up to God more and more and be more present to God because he's present to you, it entails following the little sparks of desire, ways that he gives you to be with him. I remember... um, I actually remember where I was sitting at this church in Worcester, where I went to a, I mean, I grew up going to church. My, my parents were amazing, and church was a priority for us. But, you know, it's got to become real to each individual in the church. I couldn't inherit my, my parents' faith. God doesn't take grandkids, you know. So I had to, I had to accept it myself, and I... I didn't, I think, for a long time. And I remember going to a church service. And I'm thinking now about where we were sitting. And I was listening to the sermon. And I was in college. And I got really interested. Like, which was unusual for me. To be very interested in a message. Like, growing up, I love uh, Reverend Dan Wingate from West Hill Baptist. I get, my dad and I get together with him, Chad too, when he, when he decides to hang out with us, Chad Ackerman. But when we get together, I love learning from him. He's just a sweet, beautiful man. And when, when I was growing up and going to his church, he would always ask me, because he's always also my ninth grade basketball coach, he would ask me, what'd you get out of the sermon? I was like, oh, good grief. I had to like, so I started writing things down to say, because he would ask me every week, what'd you get out of the sermon? But he's a great preacher, but my heart wasn't into it. But something happened this one Sunday. I went to church in college, and I was interested. And I think my mom and dad, my mom or dad, someone asked me after service, what did you think about the sermon? And I said, I was, I was really into it. Like, I understood it. And I kind of want to hear more. And my heart just started warming to wanting to learn about God. It was so new to me, but it was just a little spark of a desire, and I began to follow it and try to, you know, I don't think I missed many more Sundays after that because I wanted to hear more. And I started listening to a, a choir called Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. You guys ever heard of them? So um, I got my hands on this CD, and for whatever reason, I just started listening to this. I mean, I was listening to a choir, and it was incredible. And I found myself just like for hours listening to the CD, and I would get even emotional, and I would even like get a little teary-eyed thinking about the goodness of God as they're singing. It was so strange. I was like, what on earth is going on with me? I'm, not, I'm just not like that much of a music person. 
But it was gripping for me. That was an invitation from God to follow that desire through music, through hearing Scripture. The the awareness of God's presence with me and my desire to be with Him continued to grow, and it changes, and it has changed in different seasons. So I'll tell you where I'm at today. And then I want to invite you to think about where you're at. For the last several years, I've told you that Kara and I go on these individual retreats where we spend extended alone time with God. So it's taken me quite a while to get, to get there, but now it's there where I'm a couple evenings overnight by myself somewhere, and sometimes during those times, not always, but sometimes like the presence of God just feels so real, and I just, it's like, I just love spending time with you, Lord. I absolutely love spending time with you. I could, I, I've said before, I feel least lonely when I'm alone with God. It, it just is, it's, it's just there. And so for me, it's easy to spend, a, to spend extended time with God, because God has just put that in me. But now I think God is saying, now I want you to bring me with you when you're with other people. That's a whole nother animal. I enjoy being with God when I'm alone, but I'm sensing God saying, how about you bring me with me with you when you're with other people now? Really difficult to do. To be talking with someone and listening to them as you're praying for them to be talking with someone and listening to them as you're asking God to pour out his love into their hearts, to pour out his love into your heart for them. Because if you don't, you just get cold towards people, don't you? One of the hardest things to do in ministry, because it's one of the hardest things to do as a human being, is to keep a tender heart towards people. Because we hurt each other. It's what we do. But to be present with one another while we're present with Jesus, will create some type of spiral of love where we are receiving more and more of God's love as we're increasing our capacity to give God's love to one another more and more. And you can be talking about anything and be present to God. You can be talking about the Buckeyes and be present to God. You can be talking about the Browns and be present to God. You can be talking about hunting and be present to God. You can be doing anything and be present to God as you're present with people. So that's where my journey is right now. And here's the question for you. What seed of desire to be with God has he put in you? What simple step can you take to follow that desire? How is God inviting you? Where's where's just a little spark of desire that God is putting in you that He's inviting you to follow? Maybe it's um, a song that you heard on the radio or a way that you read Scripture or a walk that you took in nature and it just felt like, wow, it's easier to pray out here. There's some places that it's easier to pray. You realize that? Outside, for me, in the woods, it's really easy to pray. A lot easier than in this room, actually. Where does God feel more present to you? And then follow it. Follow it. And the last part of this is um, learning that God is present 
and making himself known to each of us through one another. Because this is the place, ideally, as Paul envisions the church, this is the place where you gather together to be re-strengthened, re-encouraged, to be sent out into a broken world again. It's like the circulatory system of the body. We, we get together to be re-oxygenated and strengthened and sent out into the rest of the body. That's why we gather. That's why we come together. It's a, it's a heartbeat. Gather together, re-strengthened, re-encouraged, refreshed, and then go off into the world in our different corners where we're bringing the kingdom with us. So one of the ways that we're present to God is being here, together, loving, serving, caring for one another. And then throughout the week, too, we have friends in here that we're strengthened and encouraged when we're with them because people without Christ in them um, often play by different rules. Our rule is love. And that's another way that Christ is present to us through one another. What seed of desire to be with God has he put in you? And what simple step can you take to follow that desire? So what I want you to do is the music team comes forward. Um, I want you to actually like bow your head and close your eyes. And I, I want you to like genuinely think about that. Be open to that. What, is, what has God put in you? What have you recognized lately as, hmm, that was interesting. I, I have a... I want to explore that a little bit more, that way of praying or that place to pray or that way of reading scripture or that way of listening or that song or that type of music, whatever it is, what is the seed of desire? And then just jot it down. What's one little step you can take to follow that desire into deeper presence with Christ? Just do that for a moment for me. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.